Okay. I'm recording. Okay, cool. (laughs) We're so bad at intros. Actually, for our listeners just listening right now, (laughs) Abby and I are recording this on a Sunday morning. I had been up very late last night in my home. I did not leave my home. (laughs) I look like a hangover mess on our Zoom recording. And the reason for this and something that is disclosed (laughs) over this podcast is I am pregnant. I am with child. And so there's no need for a big odd job podcast announcement to you guys, because really who cares, but it is germane for this episode (laughs) with Valerie Landis. Yes. Our girl Val, uh, to Jamie's credit, she actually looks great. She's glowing. No, I'm not glowing. As much as one can glow over Zoom. I'm in a robe. (laughs) I, however, with no excuse, just look like Draco Malfoy and not when he was hot. (laughs) So backing up, I went to public school. Jamie went to public school. Love a shout out to public school. Yeah, shout out to the public you'll schools. Ever get. Yeah, will say that my sex education was bad. Oh yeah, our health ed teacher would just put images of STDs on the halls. <laughs> like he had like he had like a screen projector. You know what I'm talking about? Like yeah, remember yeah, yeah. High school, like the projectors. He would just project pictures of STTs like on the hallway wall. And like, that was pretty much all you need to know about what my education looked like in high school regarding these things. I have to say my sex ed was pretty much similar. And I feel bad because first of all, if we're going to give Valerie a title and there's many titles that you could probably give Valerie, Valerie is a fertility advocate. So basically what she's doing is she is trying to educate women, men, anyone on how to family plan. If you are working with eggs, how to harvest those eggs. If you're working with sperm, what to know about them. Um, If you want to be a sperm donor, if you wanted to be an egg donor, if you wanted to start IVF, so she knows everything. All the things that we, again, in our sex ed class did not know. Um, I'm trying to think about what happened at Pumperug Regional High School, but that, obviously it wasn't <laughs> it memorable enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think the takeaway from that is that no one teaches you how to get pregnant. Everyone yes. teaches you how not to get pregnant and also how not to get STDs. This is a very good episode to listen to, even if you are a guy. We have a lot of male listeners, and I think I wanted to do a little PSA before this episode that maybe our male listeners would be saying, oh, well, Valerie Landis is a fertility advocate. Like, I don't need to listen to this one. Yes, you do. Because chances are you did not get the sex education like Abby and I did not get the sex education. And also a lot of it has to do with you. We talk a lot about the sperm. We talk a lot about uh, the LGBTQ plus community and how they can family plan. And we talk about just how the modern family is just any type of family. So I Mm -hmm. think that's a really, really cool episode. Valerie is dynamic. She is so much fun. I'm immature. I laugh a lot in this episode. (laughs) We probably needed, actually, you know what I remember from sex ed class, Abby? I remember us having to like yell out penis and vagina to stop us from like giggling. That's maybe like everyone yell vagina. And then we'd all yell vagina, like get it out of our systems. (laughs) (laughs) Well, based off that, uh, it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> yeah. And, and to Jamie's point, I do think everybody can learn something from this episode. At times, it might be topics that you're uncomfortable with, but get over it. Bear with us. All right. So this is the Odd Job Podcast. Let's plug some stuff. So we'll start with us. So if you want to learn more about us, you can go to oddjobpodcast.com. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at oddjobpodcast. Um, and then in terms of Valerie... 
She has a lot of social media accounts that are all very informative and that everyone should follow. All right. Let's talk about her educational website. If you just want to hit her website and just click into some FAQs, she's at eggsperience.com. It's a little bit of a punny name. It's E-G-G-S-P-E-R-I-E-N. CE.com. Her podcast is called the Eggology Club. You can find that at eggologyclub.com. Again, E-G-G-O-L-O-G-Y club.com. She's also filming a movie, which we kind of like dip our toes into on this podcast called thisisegfreezing.com. And you know what? Abby and I will be there on the red carpet once this COVID pandemic is done. Okay. So we're really looking forward to that. And if you want some consulting from her, you can go to herstrategies.com, H-E-R-S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-E-S.com. Enjoy. This is the Odd Job Podcast. You know, a great way to explain what, what I do is I really help with family planning choices Um, so I've been working in the women's healthcare space for over a decade plus, and I started out in birth control, selling hormones and hormone replacement and working on just helping the OBGYNs have the medications for their patients. And then it branched out into fertility because fertility clinics were using a lot of birth control to start their cycles for their patients. And so I started building this like really deep relationship within my territories and region with fertility clinics, and then eventually migrated into fertility for a good chunk of time. And so my career really is in women's health for this long. And that not only made me aware of my own body, but helped me educate my girlfriend group. So it kind of started out small and then turned into this like side hustle, if you will, where I was counseling and and educating and helping women navigate their fertility and prolonging it with egg freezing or cryopreservation and understanding like how our bodies work, how you can prolong your fertility, how egg freezing even works, and then helping them migrate through the system, finding their doctor, finding a, a way to afford egg freezing and helping navigate some of those really hard choices. Because what's really unfair for women where men don't have to deal with this problem is that they don't have to worry about their fertility timeline. Women are born with all they'll ever have. That is uh, more challenging because we have a timeline, a shorter timeline where we have to get everything done, our education, our college, our jobs, moving up the corporate ladder, income potential. All of that is compromised by when and how and if we create a family. Yeah. And I also think that like this information that you're an advisor about is coming at a really good time. Cause I've even noticed a shift in like the last five years and it's probably with everything that's gone on in the world, especially in the U S but I've seen a shift in the last five years where this topic specifically has been top of mind. And I think it's maybe because our generation is becoming more of like the child bearing child rearing generation upcoming. So I think the women around our age are starting to think like, well, if I have had kids, should I? But this whole time I've been groomed to be ambitious, to have the job, to, you know, make my own money. And now it's kind of like, well, how do I prepare myself? Like what's my insurance policy, so to speak? It's really just, you're not having the life that your parents had, right? They got married young. 
we're, we're prolonging when we get engaged, married, or even start a family. And so then that timeline shortens because if you push that window too much, then you will struggle getting pregnant because that's how the body works, a time crunch. So can you walk us through a typical timeline for a woman in terms of when they should start thinking about eggs, what's kind of happening to our eggs in our body? I don't know very much is one thing that I (laughs) will admit, even just having you on the show and we did a little research leading up to it. I was like, oh shit. You know, it starts with reproductive education and we don't do a great job in schools, kind of like money. We don't teach money very well in schools either. We don't teach women more about their body other than you're going to get a period someday. And here's how you use a condom, guys. That's it. And here's how not to get pregnant, right? We never really talk about when you do want to get pregnant, how does that work? Um, It's funny because I'll have these like really in-depth conversations with my providers and doctors and they'll be like, we have to ask really basic questions like, how are you having sex? Like sometimes this sounds really basic and and maybe a little funny. I'm I'm ready for it. (laughs) I'm so excited. You know, maybe they were having anal instead of vaginal sex and they couldn't figure out why they weren't getting pregnant. So, you know, there's just some of these caveats that you would think is so basic, but are not. (laughs) (laughs) Don't feel silly or stupid for these questions. No one taught you. So how in the world would you know? I just feel really blessed and lucky and fortunate that I had a career for the past 15 years that this is all I do every single day, day in and day out is learn about the reproductive system and the human body and how sperm works and and not be able to be embarrassed by saying the words vagina and penis or whatever. Yeah, I was fortunate that I could ask all those really dumb questions and then pass along the information for others to benefit from because let's face it, you didn't have those conversations with your mom. Right. (laughs) But let me back up and just start with how the female reproductive system works. And please forgive me for all my puns, my he, she's, whatever. I'm just being really anatomical here, right? (laughs) Scientific. I will say I knew more than whoever asked that question. Wait, sorry. Sorry, I'll let you go in a second. But in our research, there was like an FAQ of like, what's the difference between an egg and an embryo? And I had to sit there and be like, wait, what is the difference? And then I thought about it. And I was like, Jamie, you should know this. (laughs) Don't worry, I'll you all the terms. But um, you'll get a glossary like lesson after you're all said and done. And then you won't feel silly about any of these things. But so women are born with all the eggs that they'll ever have. And it's really fascinating because there's over 2 million eggs while you're still in utero. And by the time that you get your first period, you've lost over half of the eggs in your body. Now it's varying based off of your genetics, your reproductive potential, your family history. You know, there are some factors there, but for the most part, every female woman body, um, anyone that owns a vagina will be born with all the eggs that they ever have. And that then progresses. And so you will cycle every month if you know, you're know you having a normal period. Even if you're on birth control, you still lose eggs. And so every month you will develop a lot of eggs, like a lot, not a lot. And there'll be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, And then one dominant follicle will decide either on the left or the right side of the ovary, which one is going to be, you know, sending out to the world these days. And if there's sperm present and it meets the egg, this magic happens and it becomes an embryo inside your womb. And then the endometrium lining will be thick enough to absorb that embryo and implant. 
So what just happened to you, Jamie, is basically sperm met up with the egg. They created a, a, a human embryo, and then it went down the fallopian tubes into your uterine lining, and it stuck. And voila, now you're pregnant. But what happens is, is that as we age, our eggs get older. Now, we may not feel old. We might be healthy. We might have great lifestyles. You know, we may never drink. All of these key things, we might eat healthy foods. None of that plays in the factor of your egg quantity. So you're born with all the eggs you have and you lose them over time. So that's why we have this magic, horrible word, like the egg cliff or your age cliff, like, oh, you're so old that 35, you're falling off the, the cliff because there is a sharp decline that happens in your early 30s. Now, some women actually have something that's called early ovarian reserve loss. Their egg supply matures early and they lose more eggs than they necessarily are physically that age. So they might be 28 and have the egg supply of a 30 plus year old. And you wouldn't necessarily know that unless you got some key fertility testing done. And so that's been like more popular these days, like egg freezing also risen in popularity. But let me backtrack really quick and tell you a little bit about what was happening on the IVF and fertility side. So the scientific development of egg freezing wasn't very good until the most like recent 10 years. Wow. So in the previous 10 years ago, egg freezing didn't work. So the egg is very full of fluid. If you think about putting water in the freezer, it expands and it cracks and it has all the tristellations. Well, that was what's happening to the eggs. If you froze just an egg, it would crack and break because they're very fragile. Unlike sperm, you could throw it against the wall, <laughs> pull it out and still it would work. So that's what's so strange about the differences of the male and female. You know, it's easier to collect sperm than it is to collect mm -hmm. eggs. That's another key thing that, you know, a lot of women don't realize is that the egg freezing process isn't just something you go in one afternoon and do. It's a two week hormone process that you have to get your eggs ready for them to develop in order to retrieve them and then freeze them. So um, egg freezing wasn't very good. And then we advanced the technology to vitrification and it was approved by the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, ASRM. It's the governing body that regulates this industry. And it was approved in early 2012. And so things have really shifted since that approval. And at first it wasn't very mainstream because doctors and clinics felt like they were coursing women to do this and they didn't have a lot of data supporting live births. And it took a lot of eggs to equal live birth. I call it egg math. And so it's now gained more popularity. But unfortunately, the women that were born in like the 1970s and 1980s, they were not born late enough. They were born okay. too early where they really didn't have the advantage of egg freezing because they were 38, 39, 40. And the timeline, like when you become quote unquote old, your egg supply really dwindles around 40, typically, if you're a functioning reproductive system. And so after 40, think of it like the fourth quarter of a football game where you really got to score quickly because you won't have enough time to have another one. And then miscarriages increase and you have possible Down syndrome and you know, all these chromosomal abnormalities with the eggs. So the egg supply is not only more plentiful when you're younger, like in your 20s and 30s, but it also is healthier eggs. 
And it's all about finding the good, healthy eggs. So if anyone's ever suffered from a miscarriage or had a miscarriage, it's probably because there were chromosomal abnormalities and the DNA from the sperm and the egg were not healthy enough to create a live birth. So that's a little bit of the history lesson of what's happening. But women that were born in the 1980s or later, you now have this great opportunity that our mothers never had or your older sisters or aunts never had where you can freeze your eggs and it will actually work. And then maybe it wouldn't be for baby number one. Maybe it's for extending your family and creating baby number two or baby number three. Or if you do meet a partner and you need more time, you have it now. So actually one of the main questions that we got from a couple different listeners, all women was when should they check on their eggs at what age? Yeah. So I feel like the OBGYNs are doing women a disservice by not having that part of their routine pap smears or testing. Like, you know, sometimes we'll get like these lipid tests or we'll get our blood drawn, you know, for different maybe STD testing and stuff, but we don't test our fertility hormones. And it's really simple to test your fertility hormones. It's a simple blood draw called an AMH stands for anti-malarian hormone. And um, that can be done at any time. So if you just want to take a low risk step in the right direction towards your fertility, the best thing I suggest is start a baseline of where you are in your hormone pattern of your cycle and where you are in that fertility timeline. Your OBGYN can do this. There's modern kits out there you could do at home. Um, and there's several on my website, experience.com, if you want to learn about more of the how much each of those at-home kit tests cost. And um, there's like several options. And you can do it under that guidance, or you could go to a fertility clinic, which will be more specialized in this. And they'll do a blood draw, which is your AMH. And then they'll also do an ultrasound, a vaginal ultrasound to measure your follicular development. So they measure your follicles in your ovaries while they're resting, so to speak, while they're not in cycle and before you put in hormones. And then using those two coordinations together, your FSH and all the statistic numbers of everything, they can adequately tell you a more ideal number that you'll likely get from a fertility cycle, depending how you respond to the hormones. That is an easy way to start, you know, 200 some bucks at that, 300 some bucks at that total for the doctor's visit and all the testing. And then you know where you are in your baseline. And then you can come back and check, you know, if you start doing that at 25 and then you do it every other year until you maybe you hit 30. I always tell women to do these fertility tests aside from whatever relationship they're in. A lot of women make fertility choices based off of their romantic status. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's probably not the best way to do this because you will be influenced on these choices and then the relationship might come to an end. And then you'll have all that time that was not quote unquote wasted, but essentially you missed out on Um, and you potentially have a problem and not know it. So like some women have something called endometriosis or PCOS where they have polycystic ovaries and polyps in their vagina and their ovaries. And so that can prevent pregnancy and that can prevent being able to get pregnant someday. And it's good to get diagnosed with those challenges if you have them early, because egg freezing could be a huge advantage for those women. Not only can it relieve some of the symptoms, but it will then protect your fertility in the future. And then I was just thinking there's also a lot of STDs that are happening these days. And it's not fun to talk about. It's not sexy. It's not hot 
to talk about chlamydia, gonorrhea, herpes, and these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. But sometimes that can block a fallopian tubes. If it's left untreated, like chlamydia or gonorrhea, it's the number one blocker of your fallopian tubes. And you need your fallopian tubes open for the eggs to be released and to go meet the sperm. And so if you want to get pregnant naturally, you have to be very conscious of your health. Getting those tests on a regular basis, you know, I suggest getting them every single time you change partners. And that might be a little strenuous depending on your sexual activity. But, um, you know, I think it's just a good practice. And to ask your partner to also get tested because that is just a huge indicator of your future fertility. And you don't want to mess that up just because you were unaware of it. Yeah. And it's totally like a personal decision. Like what you, you hit on a really great point talking about how you should be looking at your fertility or your health outside of any relationship that you're in. And that's the same thing with getting an STD test. You should just be taking care of yourself first, right? So I think maybe hopefully women, even men too, I mean, we have a lot of male listeners and I hope that they find this just as interesting and we'll get to the men, I'm sure on this episode, but um, <laughs> th that everyone should just be kind of like thinking about their health first and then that will prepare them for whatever sort of family planning or strategizing. There's an amazing app called Safely. I think it used to be called safe. Um, it went through a name change. It's from this like amazing startup company in California that, that started and you can actually get your provider, any of your health provider to give your STD results to that app and then show your app. I'm disease free to your partner. Oh, I love oh, that. Wow. What a good idea. It's a really sexy way to have that conversation and be private about it, but also to take care of your health first. Yeah. Because think about all the people who've probably like lied about it too. Like, oh no, I'm good. <laughs> like, sorry, no, I need proof. You need to download the safely. There's nothing more sexy than to be able to show all greens, ladies. <laughs> all greens. That. Look at that. Look at right? that. Are you bringing up the safely. Yep. She's got it, guys. <laughs> Listeners. You can't be too safe out there. I mean, <laughs> you really can't. Good looking app on Valerie. They should honestly do that for COVID too. We should have a safely for COVID. Right? It would be nice if it was able to do that. But yeah, at one point I tried to reinvent the condom in my career. So I've been thinking about STD safety for a long time because it really does impact fertility and it goes hand in hand, even though we don't like to pair it together. Again, another thing that people don't talk about. And when you're in sex ed, they're like, chlamydia is bad, but they're not like, <laughs> ladies, also check your fallopian tubes because you might not have a kid. Like they don't do that. <laughs> Wait, also, what, what were some of your ideas for recreating the condom? Did you have oh, any? Yeah. I don't know what your sexual experiences have been like when or if you've ever dated, but I'm assuming you have. And I found that men that were of a certain age just flat out wouldn't wear a condom. And that put a lot of risk during that intimate moment because you're counting on them to know when they're going to come. <laughs> Sorry, I had to laugh. <laughs> I'm the immature one on this podcast. <laughs> well, well it's, a, it's an adult conversation that if you're in the heat of the moment, it's not sexy, right? To be like, hey, by the way, um, it probably wouldn't be good since I'm on day 13 and I might be ovulating. You probably should pull out. Or, hey, I really need you to wear a condom right now. And it's just a very hard conversation because then the moment has to stop. You have to take out the wrapper. You have to find one first, I guess. And then you have to tear it apart and you got to put it on correctly. And then you got to be like, okay, 
no, are you still hard? Let's keep going. So let's be honest, it doesn't really happen or men are less willing to do it than maybe they were in the past. Like in the past, condom sales, if you look at the history of condoms, you know, they were exploding in the 1970s or even 1960s because of the AIDS crisis. And now Mm -hmm. we have amazing drugs on the market like PrEP. Mm -hmm. where now we're not as worried about HIV. And we see people like Magic Johnson surviving for 10 years with something so horrible like this. So we've become less afraid of these diseases. Now, maybe the pandemic with COVID has put that spectrum back in focus. And now we're scared of everybody even breathing on us. But honestly, we should have been doing that with STDs a long time ago. And so my idea was, hey, we need the woman to be in charge of a condom. And how could that happen? So there was old product on the market that never really took off because of the design and the material it used, but it could fill a vagina or it could fill an anus, however you choose to use it. But essentially it lined that and was not uh, restrictive on the penis. And so you could have sex like normal, but still have a barrier protecting. So it allowed for a little bit more intimacy. The problem with that is that from an FDA standpoint, it needed clinical trials, it needed uh, to be regulated. And that was just a really big process and a lot of money. And I just didn't get the funding. So uh, the project kind of died on the vine, so to speak. But there are other companies now that have done it. So in the last two years, the FDA declassified the condom, the internal condom, I like to call it. A lot of people call it the female condom, but it's really an internal condom. Uh LGBTQ users could use it. And so it's declassified now to only a level two. It was a level three. That was like a huge burden to get through the FDA. So now it's a lower version. And there's an amazing company called uh, Dare Bioscience. And they've created a new internal condom that went through all the clinical trials. So it should be on the shelves soon. So stay tuned for your local Walgreens, CVS, uh, boot, whatever. So boots, yeah, actually, yeah. I, <laughs> I, have an, I have a question about it. So part of the problem with the previous condom, archaic condom, is that you have to like open up your purse or open up your bag. You got to fish for one. You got to open the thing. You got to put it on. So with the internal condom let's say you're going over a guy's house for like a booty call. Can you like put it in already? Yeah. That's the best part is it can wow. be put in eight hours before you need eight it. hours. You could have a day <laughs> date, day drinking. <laughs> like, yeah. The trick is though, you have to remember the anatomy of the female vagina. You also have the urethra right there. And so you don't want to pee on the internal condom because it does, oh. it is exterior. And then if you decide to have oral sex, it kind of ruins that moment too. So new that guys freak out. I'll tell you from firsthand experience, don't try to sex up a guy the first time and not give him heads up that this is what's <laughs> happening because it, it does have to be discussed a little bit. And it takes a couple of times to try it before you feel comfortable. But if you're in a committed relationship or a relationship that's very comfortable about talking about these things, it is a fantastic option for preventing uh, getting pregnant and or ST. It looks a little funny, but if you're not, you know, concentrating on that area, you can have sex as though you're free balling it literally. And you don't even notice, and you could get them at public health places. You could buy them online too. So they are more available. They're just not at the drugstores or at, you know, yeah. 
store where you can just pick one up. Finding it will always be a problem until it's not, until the supply chain isn't a problem. It's still the same problem as the old condoms. You still have to have one. But if you have one, it's amazing because they can come inside you and essentially you twist it after you're done and yank it out. And it's the cleanest cleanup you will ever have. My mind is blown. It has a little kind of like a nuber ring inside of it and you squeeze it and you push it up there and then you take out the ring if it's not too difficult or the device that helped you get it the whole way back into your cervix and then the vagina wall is covered and you can go at it. Awesome. A great time. I'll tell you the biggest thing for me, and I'm just talking personal experience here, and I didn't mean to go down this rabbit hole, but no, I love I love this rabbit hole. Yeah, we are the rabbit. The the pun is there, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, I told the pun is there. The biggest thing is is it allows you to relax. It allows you not to worry, like, oh my God, am I skin to skin contact? You don't have to worry if you do have herpes, for example, you don't have to worry as much as giving it to someone else. You can protect your partner and be responsible and maybe not have to get into all the weeds of that. Or for example, you you can just relax because you don't have to worry on the guy making sure he does his part of the deal and he's not selfish and decides to accidentally impregnate you. (laughs) You can just enjoy it. This is like the, the bumble of, of, you know, condoms. Right. Right. I was like, I didn't know where I was going with that. I was like, you you? can land this plane, Jane. You got this. (laughs) I was like, what was the device we're talking about right now? (laughs) Little shaky, but you got it. It's okay. I got it. (laughs) I have a lot of friends in the startup land. I don't know if you've ever heard of a product called uh, Softplex or Flex. It's a, it's a menstrual cup of some sort, but more like a disc and it's used for your period but it's a similar concept as the internal condom, just more for collecting your flow, right? And so that company, for example, is kind of a new environmentally friendly, instead of a tampon, you kind of put in this disc and it collects your flow like a, like a menstrual cup essentially, mm-hmm. and has the same kind of um, factor into it. Like when I sold birth control, NuvaRing was so hard to explain to people and for people to want to do back in the early 2000s, because they had this ick factor of touching themselves, right? I feel like some of that has gone away now, 10, 20 years later, where, you know, we talk about vibrators more openly, we talk about what we want in the bedroom. And I feel like with the feminine movement, we've also said, hey, we're not ashamed of the fact that we menstruate and that we have a period. And we're not going to let this be gross, right? And so the movement has kind of changed. Well, the same thing is happening in egg freezing. When I first started counseling women seven, eight years ago about egg freezing, they were 38, 39, 40 years old, right? And it was shameful. They were like, oh my goodness, I must be baby crazy. I'm just trying to find anybody to be the dad. And I really want a kid, but I can't find that person. And you hear this like desperation in their voice. Right. Reliance on somebody else. Right. Because now all of a sudden you are in this time crunch where it's, you're trying to find your Hail Mary and then you maybe make poor choices or you end up with the wrong guy. And that's not fun to parent a child for 18 years or forever. And so what egg freezing provides women is 
the ability to extend that clock and not just accepting or settling for someone that's not right for them. Equally, it protects men where they're not then forced into parenthood when they didn't expect to. I just think that sometimes we look at some of these advancements in different ways and that it can really be a viable option to change how the next generation does it. And so what I've seen in the last five years, six years, three years, is that women are getting younger. I first started freezing when I was 33 years old and I've been selling fertility medications and in this space for five years before I decided to do that. And what I'm finding is, or what I hear is, is that there's an emotional struggle that you have to kind of wrestle with in your head before you're ready to physically take those actions and those steps. And if we learned about it when we were younger or we were properly educated about this timeline, then we would not be rushing to the fertility clinic when it's almost too late and then have to do multiple cycles and then have it not work. If we can freeze when we're younger, we get the better egg supply. We don't have to go through that procedure as many times. And then the egg math works in our favor. You know, you do have to pay storage and keeping the eggs frozen, but there's cost-effective ways to do this. And I have biohacked all the ways to make this affordable for you, no matter where you live. That's kind of what I help educate and teach and promote, essentially. I mean, I don't get paid a dime for any of this and I don't mind it because it's just sort of my, it's like the reason I was put on this earth to do is to help the younger generation after me know all their options. So at least you're given the choices and you can create all the backup plans that you want. Can you walk us through what that process is like and just walk us through what anybody who might be considering this would expect? It's definitely something great you can do for yourself if you choose to do this, but you do have to not sacrifice, but you have to basically make your body a temple for about a month, two months. So they're going to do a baseline test. Um, It's a simple blood draw. And then they'll know where you stand. And then when you get your period the next month, let's say you're going to go into hormone, you've decided, yes, I'm going to freeze my eggs. They're going to have you come back on day two of your period whenever you start your period, unless they're like batching you in a cycle with the fertility clinics usually. So they'll have you come in and they'll count your follicles and they'll be like, okay, I think you're ready for your hormone cycle. They'll send you home with a list of drugs you need to get, or maybe you've already gotten all the hormones. And basically what you're doing is you're putting um, about two, two to three shots in your body each day. Some of the shots are in the evening. Some of the shots are in the morning, depending on which stage you are in this cycle, but you're taking a follicular development medication. It's like called FSH. And when you do that, you make your ovaries grow and then your follicles grow and inside each follicle should be an egg. And that egg is smaller than a hair on your head. And it needs to grow as big as possible to be prepared and ready to be extracted and then later inseminated and survive the freeze. So you're going to take those hormones for about 10 to 14 days. The first five days are the first like week. You're just going to take a drug, either Folistem or Gonalef. There's only three manufacturers in the pharmaceutical world for fertility meds for FSH you're going to take either a Folistem or a Gonalef. Both those drugs are bioequivalent of each other. So they're just a pre-filled syringe. You dial the dial back. They'll probably tell you like somewhere between 200, 300, 400 units. And then you inject yourself in the stomach. After you go in for your first scan, they're going to measure how many follicles are growing. They're going to tell you, okay, you're good to keep going. Now we're going to increase your dose, lower your dose. They'll adjust it. The first five days are the most important and critical. 
because you are, you don't know how you're going to respond to these hormones. The other FSH slash GH uh, medication is Menopure. Now that is in a little vial and you have to pull up some water and then you put it into the vial and then mix it around. Kind of like Botox, actually. Botox is very similar to Menopure. Oh. Where it's a powder, the medication's a powder, and you put in the solution, the, the solient, and then that makes the medication work. And it's only good for about an hour after you mix it. So you don't want to mix the powder unless you're going to use it. So usually they'd use those combination drugs in tandem. And then after like day five, day six, day seven, depending how you're progressing. Now you're going to feel a lot of, um, what I like to call pregnancy feelings, right? Your breast tenderness, all those key estrogen things are running through your body. Um, you might feel tired, bloaty, all those key things. And then they're going to be like, okay, now we want to keep you from ovulating. So we're going to throw in another medication in the morning called Ganarelix. And basically what that drug does is it prevents you from releasing your eggs because now they're bigger than they typically would be in a normal cycle. And the body's saying, Hey, that's my dumb follicle. And I need to, to get fertilized. So I need to send it down the fallopian tubes. We don't want that to happen. We need to collect the eggs for as long as possible to get to them to over 15 millimeters big in that 20 range, 18 to 20 range. That way they're mature enough to freeze. And so the doctor will then tell you after you've been doing that for about 10, 12, 14 days, okay, I think you're ready. Now we're going to give you a trigger shot, which is basically a huge dose of medication, the last remaining big dose of medication to allow your follicles to be released. And then 36 hours later, you'll go under a procedure. It's kind of like a light sedation. You're put under a light sedation and then they will take a needle inside a wand that they'll put up your vagina. So it's like, just like your vaginal ultrasounds and they'll poke each ovary and pull out all the eggs embryologists will clean them off and let them sit in the incubator for about an hour, make sure they're mature level two eggs, and then they'll vitrify them and freeze them. And then you'll know how many eggs you have in the freezer. What's a good like haul? What would be yeah, like right. a good egg haul? You know, a good like pick if it, up a yeah. good load, like a dozen, <laughs> half dozen. Like yeah, totally. It depends on your age. The statistics are about ten to twelve eggs equals one live birth. So each egg has between one and two percent chance of turning into a live birth. That's not very high. So just because you collect twenty eggs, let's say, or ten eggs, doesn't mean you have ten babies. It's all an egg math game. It's a numbers game. An average cycle, if someone's in their early thirties is, you know, in that dozen range, if you get close to 20, that's really amazing. What I help and encourage women to do is to make your body a temple before you go into get ready to freeze your eggs. So if you're thinking about egg freezing, the best thing you can do for yourself and you haven't committed to it yet is start taking fertility vitamins, start taking you know, your CoQ10, start eating more vegetables and fruits. There's fertility focused, friendly foods that you can put in your body that just make you flourish and it'll give you better results. Also, when they do that baseline testing and they do that ultrasound and that blood draw, they're going to tell you like, Hey, you know, your numbers look kind of low this month. Let's wait till next month. Every month is a different cycle. And you might have a ton more follicles in that next cycle 
than you do in the first cycle. So don't be alarmed just because you get like certain numbers in those tests. You could always retest and every month is a new opportunity for an egg supply. So maybe you had a blowout period last month. It's probably because you had a lot of eggs that decided to release that time. And then the next period isn't as bad. And why does that happen? It's because our body is fluctuating on, you know, what hormones are in our body. If we're looking at a young woman who's in her early thirties and she goes in and she hits that like 10 to 12 eggs, theoretically, if she wanted two kids or three kids, she would probably have to go two or three times to sort of get that egg math to work. You're on target. So, you know, you want to start out when I start counseling women and talking this through with them, I start with What's your ideal family size? If you could create your family today, how many kids do you want? And what are, what does that look like? Do you want to do it with a partner? Are you open-minded to be a single mom by choice? Are you okay with donor sperm? For example, that's a whole nother book of worms. To we'll get into that or yeah, to explore. So there's just so many choices here. So you really have to say, this is what I want. Plan A would be right. And a lot of women, they'll tell me, well, I just want to get pregnant naturally. And I'm like, that's great. Keep going for that goal. Just because you froze your eggs doesn't mean you can't get pregnant naturally, right? Your first baby could totally be naturally, but what's nice is if natural doesn't work, you have a backup plan and you have a way that you can then control. And so what I've always thought is, and the reason I froze three times was because I did my egg math. And I said, I don't feel comfortable unless I have a certain amount of eggs in the bank and I might still try naturally, but if it doesn't work and I'm only going to have maybe one or two kids, now I can genetically select if I put in a girl or if I put in a boy, that's what's so amazing about the technology of fertility and IVF is that now we've learned so much about the embryo and we can do this genetic testing to make sure it's healthy and viable and it's going to survive. Now it still may not take, you might have a perfectly healthy embryo and it may not take, maybe your uterine lining wasn't thick enough and it just, your body just rejected it. And that happens all the time too. Just being aware of all the possible things that can happen and then planning. It's just like planning how we planned out our career or our 401k. This is family planning 101. What are we looking at cost-wise? Is it getting cheaper now that more people are going and it's like a little bit more accessible now? Just so if people are considering this, what they also have to be considering in terms of cost. Yeah, that's a great question. So an average IVF cycle, which includes the whole gamut. So if you were to try to get pregnant now with your own eggs, with your partner, one cycle would run you about $12,500. That's the national average. Egg freezing is the first half of IVF. You are going through the exact same procedure as any friend that you know that has done IVF. The retrieval process, collecting the eggs is all the same. You're just doing the first half up front and maybe not making the embryos because that's the question mark, right? Mm-hmm. Who's the dad? Um, this is the game of eggs, not embryos. We know, no. <laughs> eggs, not embryos. Who's your daddy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. And so the embryos until they, until they become embryos, they don't have a dad, right? So eggs don't have dads yet. And so, yeah, this isn't a game of Murray, but you know, who's the father, but, (laughs) um, but it is important to realize that there's a difference. Now, if you're a little older on that fertility spectrum, so I'm talking about that 37, 38, 39, and you really want a biological child that's yours. And you're not sure if you're going to meet a partner that could be your parenting partner and you don't have a sperm source. I highly recommend that you go to donor sperm 
and you create maybe one or two embryos if possible, still freeze eggs. But if you are so concerned about having your own child someday and you're open to open motherhood or, you know, being a solo parent and you are in that little bit of older bracket, I highly suggest you explore that option and figure out how comfortable you are with that. Because what happens is, is a lot of women bank these eggs and maybe they only do one cycle. That was kind of like the thing of the past. You just did one cycle and you were so proud of yourself. You did that one cycle and you should be proud of yourself, but you may not have banked enough eggs for your egg quality. It's about quality too. And we can't see quality on a microscope yet. Now there's a, there's a couple of new startups that are trying to do that. And they're doing an amazing job trying to, you know, use artificial intelligence to tell us more because there's a lot going on with the egg. It's just, we don't have enough data to yet see, is this true? We haven't seen the the outcomes following that egg the whole way through fruition of trying to be an embryo. Some people don't ever make their eggs embryos. So that's the other problem too, is it's going to take a while for that data to catch up. So, um, so yeah. you've already gone through the egg freezing process. You said you did it three times. You have your eggs. Have you created a couple embryos for yourself? I haven't because part of the reason is I really wanted to give myself the most chances to do that with a partner. That's my choice. Number one. And I froze enough eggs where I'm confident that I don't need to create embryos, but if you're not able to create enough, like timing wise, you don't have enough time to collect enough eggs for your age because it's on a sliding scale, right? How many eggs you should collect kind of coincides with your age. So I'll give you just my background. So when I froze at 33 years old, I got 17 eggs, 22 got pulled out, but only 17 made the freeze. So you see egg math already start. Yeah, Yeah. it was a decent freeze. I did a great job, right? Pat on the back. I had zero control over that. It's just how my body responded. Big freeze. Just how the math worked out. It's just how good my, my clinic was right. And then I froze two years later because nothing in my life had changed. And I still didn't have like someone that I was really passionate about. And I was like, okay, I better do this again. So now I'm 35, you know, I've been on birth control for 10, 15 years. Cause remember I'm selling it every single day. So I'm <laughs> as a Guinea pig here. And I saw this study where it said, if you were off birth control for three to five months, six months before you did an egg freeze, it could increase your chances. And I was like, huh, I should try that. But then I was like, well, I need to get this egg freezing cycle done. So I just better hurry up and do it. Yeah. I'm 35, right? This is the egg cliff that's happening. I wonder what my results will be. And I had a good cycle. Um, I didn't develop as fast. So I actually was on the hormones and meds an additional two days than I was when I was two years younger. And I got 12 eggs that were successfully froze. Still good. I mean, we get so focused on the number, but once again, I have no idea what those 12 eggs are. Complete crap. 13 totally got pulled out, but only 12 made the freeze that were mature level two. And so then I'm like, man, that's 29 eggs. It's just shy of 30. If you do the math, 12 eggs equals one live birth. I don't even have two kids yet. I might have one out of that deal. Boy, that really didn't make me feel comfortable. So a year and a half, two years later, I decided, okay, I'm going to film this whole thing because I think women need to understand what it looks like. And so I started documenting and creating a short film, like a 90 minute short film that I'm working on called this is egg freezing. So you can see what the process looks like from start to finish because I was severely affected by the meds, but this time I had a whole year to plan. 
I said, I know I'm going to do this a third time. This is going to be the last time I do this. It's expensive, but I want to make sure that I have the best cycle possible. So for a whole year, I took fertility vitamins. I made smoothies with fertility focused foods that were really good for me. And I went off birth control. Now that obviously could be a, maybe not a great choice if you're sexually active, but at the time I didn't have a boyfriend and I really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a huge commitment for me, but I did really focus on working out, lowering my stress. I chose a job that wasn't very demanding because I just was like, this is what I'm going to sacrifice for my future. And ladies now keep in mind, I had a major medical discussion with my physician. Now I'm obviously good friends with most of these people because I've been working with them for 10 years as well. But I told my doctor, Hey, here's the results from my last two times. Let's look at these. I want to have a hormone profile when I take these meds that push this to the max, like almost to the level where I might hyperstimulate. It's a condition called OHSS. And it's really bad. It's where your ovaries twist and turn and you potentially lose one. You don't want to have it. But if you're carefully monitored and you get your blood drawn and like they check you and you have your ultrasounds and you're fine, you can avoid it. So I knew that I would be at risk for hyperstimulating because I really respond to the meds, but I was like, listen, doctor, I just want to take this cycle to the max. And so we increased my doses. I went a little rogue. I had a couple other side doctors uh, advising. <laughs> uh, I probably didn't stick to the hundred percent, the protocol, but I'm like, you know, doctor, I think I'm just going to add another hundred units of FSH tonight. Not recommended, but I did blow out the meds and I was enormous. I was like the size of a Petri tree. Like I was just huge and <laughs> yeah, it looked like I was nine months pregnant or whatever, a couple months pregnant. Yeah. And so we did the retrieval and I got 32 eggs that successfully froze. Whoa. 35 or 36. I can't remember now actually got pulled out. And I attribute that success 100% to, cause now remember I'm two years older. Almost. I yeah. it was like a month before my 37th birthday, um, right before COVID hit, you know, it was in 2019, like fall of 2019. And now I'm 37 or almost 37. I think the reason that it was successful is a, my hormone profile was carefully monitored and we really did max that out. But also too, I was off birth control for at least six months. It allowed my hormone levels to really kick into gear. And that's probably why I responded so well to the hormones. And then also the fertility vitamins and just taking care of my body and clean health and just being clean with my foods. My point of this whole story is every cycle is completely different. You can't get upset just because you may not have had a great result like that. I'm very fortunate where I come from a long line of family members and lineage. I mean, I have 50 first cousins. Oh, whoa. That's more than so, me. I have 36. Damn. Yeah. And that's just one side. It helps when your parents are like five of nine children. Yeah. So that's where cousins <laughs> come from, right? Yeah. So my grandma had nine children naturally, believe it or not. Mine did too. Yeah. Clearly they didn't believe in birth control. Back no, then. they're no, Irish, no. Irish Catholics, <laughs> man. Hell no. Nobody wants to have nine children anymore. Yeah. That's just the way of the past. Now you're just lucky. You just want to have one healthy one, right? Yeah. So my whole point of this was that everybody's fertility is unique to them and you shouldn't play the comparison game because it is really a slippery slope in anything in life to compare. But what you can do is arm yourself with knowledge and empower yourself to make the best choices you can right now. I know we're in COVID. I know it's so much more difficult to find a fertility doctor or to get you know, those appointments scheduled or get your blood drawn or, or do those things. But where there's a will, there's a way. I always say where there's a will, there's a way. And if you really want it, you can make it happen. And I will help you make that happen. Um, because I think the dream and goal of parenthood 
you know, I think we suppress it as women and we don't want to, you know, maybe this feminist mindset, oh, I can do everything without a man. Well, we really don't want to. It's not that we can't, right. we totally can, but you know, it would be nice if you had a partner in every aspect of life, whether it be a coworker that you can trust or a partner at home that, you know, you can rely on and co-parent because parenting's not easy. You know, that's a whole nother ball game. Staying pregnant is a whole nother ball game, you know? So having a healthy pregnancy is tough. And there's so much that can happen during that nine months. It's the same thing that can happen during your fertility cycle. Yeah. And actually what you touched upon as far as like getting off birth control for a few months, that was really one of our questions um, that we got from listeners. So it's kind of a two-parter. So can birth control impact fertility and specifically does plan B harm fertility? Great maybe question. Had some, maybe you have some wild college years, you know? Yeah. So really, let me just address the plan B thing first mm-hmm. or any kind of emergency contraception because I sell those, but that is essentially just a whole pack of birth control in one month in a one pill. Oh. And that's why it works. And so sometimes people use it as birth control, which we do not recommend or suggest that if you're obviously needing a bunch of plan B's, maybe you should be on birth control. Right. <laughs> right. But I will say that don't feel like if you took a plan B, you hurt your body or that you're going to prevent yourself from getting pregnant in the future. That is not true. And then birth control doesn't hurt your body either. Actually, it's completely safe. Otherwise it wouldn't be FDA cleared and no one would be taking it for this many years. And our mothers wouldn't have praised the universe above them that they were able to be on birth control without the stigma, because I'm sure there was plenty of stigma back in the sixties and seventies that you had to be married. I mean, if you look at the history, it's insane. You had to be married in order to get a pack of birth control pills. Can you imagine? Imagine that being the barrier to entry. You're like, really want to be on birth control. I'm going to go get married. Yeah. <laughs> no, that would be the next line. Like it's not an ultimatum lady. It's just, Hey, I don't want to have kids. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't need you for anything else, but not that. You were right. <laughs> so, um, so birth control is not harmful. It actually, every seven to 10 years that you take birth control, depending on which birth control you take, because some do have the progestions are the key factor you want to know about. Usually the estrogen is all the same. Estrogen, estradiol is almost in every pill. The estrogen isn't the problem. It's the progesterone, the progesterone, which is that smaller number on the pill pack or the package that is a derivative of the natural hormones. And so sometimes there's anagenic effects, which would be like hair growth that we don't want to see. Oh, okay. Or if you've ever gained weight, like some people say, oh my God, that pill made me so bloated or these are true side effects. It just depends which medication you took. So if you're getting like the weight gain, the acne, the hair growth, maybe you should have a discussion with your doctor on a different progesterone. um, Right. Well, because they also then like conversely, some people might get acne on their birth control, but they also prescribe some birth control for acne, prevent acne. acne. Yeah. So it's just sort of like depends on hormones. Yeah. 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 So those hormones mask and prevent you from ovulating. Now you still lose eggs, but it doesn't hurt your fertility. It basically just silences it. It puts it to sleep. It like, it just thinks it's pregnant all the time. The uterine lining never thickens up and never creates an environment, acidic environment in your vagina. You know, have you ever heard of pH balance uh, or like the flora? Have you ever heard of the flora of your vagina? It's yeah. Isn't that important. summer's Eve commercials? I feel like they talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> never do those douching products. Please <laughs> do not spend your money or waste your cash on those products 
products, they are horrible for your flora. You want the natural flora. It's healthy. It, you do not stink. You probably just had sperm in you and sperm is acidic and it makes your vagina smell. Say no to douches, both <laughs> types. <laughs> so natural and basic soap. Don't use really heavy, crazy soap to go down in there and up everywhere. Don't do it. It's bad. Yeah. There's some natural flora in there that keep you working properly. So you don't have to worry about birth control hoarding your, that's the end of the story. <laughs> Everyone stay on your birth control. If you're not yeah. ready <laughs> to that point, I had a separate birth control question. So if you are trying to harvest your eggs is harvesting, is that not what people say? I like to call it harvesting for some reason, but, um, retrieve. retrieve. Eggs, okay. That's probably eggs. better. So when you are going through that process though, do you have to be off birth control or does it depend on the type of birth control you're on? For instance, if you have like a marina versus like you're taking the pill, how does that fit into question. the collection? Question. Yeah. So IUDs, like your marina you were talking about, or maybe it's Kylina or Liletta, whatever IUD, or even the copper IUD, the Paragard, all those IUDs, there's been research trials that you don't have to take those out in order to do an egg freezing cycle. So that's hallelujah. Number one. Dope. So if you have an IUD or a long lasting birth control method, you're safe. You can still do egg freezing. However, have the conversation with your physician, especially your fertility doctor, that you might want to take a pack of regular OCs, oral contraception, birth control pills, even though you're taking the Mirena. So you can regulate your cycle to ovulate better because what Mirena does is it creates this acidic environment where it's so disruptive. It's almost like an inflamed um, like a cut or a bruise, you know, it's a little hot. That's what's constantly happening with an IUD. Yeah. Doesn't it just basically make like a hostile environment? It makes a hostile environment. <laughs> you cannot get pregnant. It doesn't stop your ovulation. Yeah. It doesn't mask your fertility like other pills do. And so there's been a couple of doctors that actually put you on birth control pills, even though you have a Marina or a IUD in or a, 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 any kind of work. And that will help your fertility cycle. Now, if you're on any other kind of birth control, so like the ring, the patch, any kind of pills, or even the depot shot, which I would not recommend taking the depot shot because that's for three months and it does give you a harder time to get back to natural fertility. So I would recommend, you know, if you're on any of those, they'll have you take it the first month to get you on a cycle, to get you regular for your period. So we time everything because this is a very timed process. Like when you take that trigger shot, which is at the end of your two week hormones cycle, you have to be in that retrieval chair under 36 hours. Otherwise your eggs are going to disperse and we're going to miss them. And then you might've had a bunch of eggs that could have been retrieved, but we didn't, we miss weren't able them. to catch them. Yeah. We able, yeah. You have to catch all the eggs. Everything is very, very timed and specific. Okay. Just like when you take your hormones every single night, you have to do it within that two hour window, that seven, eight, nine o'clock window. You want to make sure you inject yourself every single time at the same time, because then it triggers your body to be like, Hey, I have more hormones to work with. I need to grow. And it stimulates that. These are all really in-depth details 
that are maybe overwhelming to the person that's just hearing this for the first time, but just trying to give you the tips and tricks. No, I love this. I love this. And speaking of like tips and tricks, what I'm learning, especially when we were researching you and going through your websites and we listened to your podcast is that your audience aren't, isn't just women. It's also, especially like the LGBTQ plus community. So it's like, my question to you is what kind of alternatives are out there for them as far as like strategizing their families, what alternatives do they have? Cause there's like so many different ways of having a family, right? I've learned even a lot of just like different ways that depending on your situation, you could have a baby. Yeah. That's a great point. Thanks for bringing that up. What's hard is that creating a baby needs male DNA, such as a sperm and an egg. So when you have two eggs, it doesn't equal a baby. Or if you have two sperms, it doesn't equal a baby. And so there are donor programs out there where you can get donor egg. And a lot of people don't think about it. And if you can't afford egg freezing, there's freeze and share programs out there where you can decide if you're young enough and you've gone through all the rigorous testing, there's a little bit more advanced testing, like genetic profiling testing and such that you have to do if you want to be a donor. And then you have to be able to be okay with the fact that you might have a biological child running out there somewhere that you're not in charge of. Right. So once you've got wrapped your head around all that psychology to considerations, then you can actually get anything donor. You can get a donor egg, you can get a donor sperm, you can even get a donor embryo, which would be ah, neither. Okay. So some people do third-party reproduction that going is one step further where someone else even carries the child for you, like a surrogate. Now these are very expensive choices, but they exist. So for like a gay couple, a male gay couple, they will need a womb. And so the biggest takeaway is that while your eggs get old, your uterus doesn't age much. And so you can have a baby up until you have hit menopause, which is crazy to think, but I don't know if you've ever seen that, like that crazy Oprah story where the daughter had her mother carry the child. And so the grandma actually gave birth to her granddaughter. Why not? It's also like really awesome that we can do something like that these days. So, so your uterus can have a baby as long as there's a healthy embryo to implant. And that's the key takeaway is having that healthy egg, healthy sperm, healthy embryo. And what's crazy is that men make new sperm every 90 days ish. 87 to 90 days. So like if you're using cannabis or weed or, you know, these things, it can affect their sperm too. So don't take the sperm out of the factor because that is important as well. They can influence their fertility. Wait, so let's talk sperm. We've spent a lot of time on the eggs. Let's go to sperm. So like, (laughs) let's say we're going to go sperm shopping. Let's talk about that process. Okay. I'd love to know. So it's like online dating. Mm Mm-hmm. Only baby pictures. Ah, There's not a lot of sperm donors that you're seeing as adults. So it's not like you're swiping through and being like cute, hot, not whatever. You're actually looking at a more of a profile of that person. So genetics, you're looking at eye color, height, maybe education. There's like a little bio written about them. Sometimes the sperm banks will have like audio voices. They'll have an interaction that they've taped, but they do really protect their privacy because some of these donors continuously come back. Now, the other key thing to remember is that when you use donor sperm, potentially there could be other half siblings out there. They 
likely have donated to other families. And my head goes to this crazy thought that we're going to have this whole generation of donor babies someday that might accidentally hook up with someone they're genetically linked to. Yes. But there's safety precautions in play where when a sperm is used and there's been live births recorded, they actually retire the donor. Oh, I was... Okay. Okay. So there are controls in place. There's a delay factor because what if a pregnancy wasn't reported that there was a live birth from that donor? So there's always fallacies in, you know, hiccups in the potential system, but just be aware of that. And so you can actually buy sperm that no one else has. It's a little bit higher of a premium. Or you can use your partner, right? And mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully they know all. You should have like a serial number on sperm, right? <laughs> Just <to> like right. <laughs> track it a little brand, bit better. Yeah, well, we need to brand men. What, yeah, what right. number are you? Yeah, like barcodes. <laughs> I do like the idea of the premium sperm. is is a fascinating one. Like you get the good stuff. Yeah. You know? I say if you're gonna do it and you have the money for it, go premium. Do they give you more details if you go premium or? Yeah, there or no? are some donors are open and some donors are non. Okay. So that's another key factor. Another thing too, that they test for is HSV, which is really just the herpes. About 50% of the population have SV1 or SV2, which is herpes. Yeah. So we have herpes in the genital or herpes in the mouth. And a lot of times we have herpes and we don't even know it. And it's because it lays dormant in your system and blah, blah, blah. So unless you get a specific test for it, it's very possible you have it. And it's kind of like the coronavirus where it can spread so mm-hmm. easily. You can literally use your girlfriend's lipstick and get HSV. So it's not a big deal, but the sperm banks love to test for that. And then they say, are you positive or negative? Negative obviously is the good choice. Positive means you have it. And when you go for the donor, if you're HSV negative, they highly suggest you get an HSV negative sperm donor. So that way you don't give it to your child. Now that is kind of hit or miss just because you use an HSV positive sperm does not mean the child will have HSV. It sounds more scary than it is, is what I'm telling you. But what you're going to find when you're sperm shopping out there, there's not a lot of choices. You might get fatigue or there might be too many choices. You can't narrow it down. So my biggest suggestion is get your top five, then get your friends and family involved. Print them all out. Fun. Do the pros and cons, make, you know, a night of it, a cheese platter, some wine, champagne, throw some darts at it and see what everybody else thinks and then get a top two. Because the reason I say always pick two sperm donors is because when you get started in the process and you start actually using your eggs and inseminate them with that sperm, you might find that your eggs don't fertilize and it might be the sperm factor. So it's always nice to have a sperm on backup. Then you have another option that if none of those embryos implant or they, you don't actually get a pregnancy from them, if you have enough eggs, you can use this other donor and it might change your results night and day. Now, if you have a child with that donor, here's another reason too, I suggest buying multiple vials of whatever donor you pick. One vial usually is used and then they can't reuse it. So they don't refreeze the sperm again. So you want a couple of vials because if you only thaw six eggs, let's say a lot, a lot of eggs is six eggs. If you do that and they don't equal embryo, then you have to 
get more sperm. If you've already had baby number one and they have that dad, you might not want your kid to have two dads. So that's why you have to get enough sperm. So that's just what you need to be thinking about when you're sperm shopping is have one on backup in case something happens to that sperm or it's not as good when you're mixing it with your DNA and then buy enough of it once you decide that's going to be the father. Mm -hmm. I know that you said that you haven't created embryos yet, but have you gone down the sperm donor path? It sounds like you maybe did the darts at the photos. (laughs) It sounds like there was a party that I wanted to be invited to. (laughs) I spent six months searching for my perfect sperm donor online. And then... I looked over at a really good guy friend of mine and I was like, Hey, what do you think about being my sperm donor? Now there's a whole new bag of worms that opens when you pick a known donor. So you might have somebody in your life that like a gay best friend or anybody that has a penis and has sperm that you'd be like, Hey, I would like your DNA. Like just from a DNA perspective, you're not trying to sleep with them. You're not, you know, whatever. Good head of hair. Yeah. You (laughs) like your voice. You're not balding. You're tall. I like your DNA. What do you think? Now we got lawyers involved. So I got a fertility focused lawyer. We created a sperm donor contract. And so just to catch you up, what happened, because COVID fast forwarded a lot of things. We've talked about him being my sperm donor for three years. You know, we've been friends for five, six years. We talked about him being my sperm donor for three of those years. And then pre-pandemic, we both broke up with a relationship and we found ourselves single. And we're like, hey, you know, what do you think about dating? And what would that future look like? And all of a sudden it went from being 100% platonic friends and potentially a sperm donor to a dating relationship. Didn't expect that to happen. Then COVID hits and we quarantined together and it's going really well. Oh my God. Obviously there's been bumps in the road and it's not perfect. And, you know, I have to wonder how much of this is COVID and like, you know, we, we both lost our jobs and we had to get new jobs. There's tons of hurdles that we were facing during this time period. But now we're talking about how it's turning in from a sperm donor situation into a relationship, right. you know, discussion. So obviously those are tricky. He has twins from a previous relationship in his early thirties and that situation, it wasn't planned. And so I see his point of view where he was a little bit traumatized from those relationships, not necessarily tricking him. Maybe they didn't do it on purpose, but having kids when you didn't want to have, you weren't ready. Yeah. Cause yeah. it's, you it's ready. Yeah. yeah. And maybe you never wanted kids and you didn't know that until it happened, but now they're here. So you don't want, I yeah. mean, they're still your right. children, you know, you're going to love them regardless. And so it's a bigger discussion because, you know, my family size thought process is now changing because of my relationship. Right. But I have this backup of all these eggs So it's nice to know that, you know, we don't have to force that part of our relationship during this time period. It can literally keep waiting, even though I'm 38 years old for two more years and I'm still 33 you know, in the freezer. Well, I'm super happy for you. It sounds amazing. And I actually think that this whole pandemic silver lining is like kind of is a little make or break for relationships. I feel like it's like a really good stress test because people are going through stress in every single part of their lives throughout this year. So I don't know. I have a good feeling about this. Definitely teaching us what's important and what we need to prioritize. And I think that that's also why there's an uptake in egg freezing right now. So there was an article that came out a few weeks ago that just said how 
between the end of last year, basically to September, it, egg freezing has a 40% jump. Wow. And it's because we've had so much time to think about what do we want? What's important to us? Where do I want to live? Do I want to live in a big city forever? Mm-hmm. Do I want to have more of a family life? What's important? And I think that that is the silver lining of yeah. COVID. If there is well, I also think we got so busy with our own lives, right? And like we have these goals and a lot of them are outside of family planning or outside of relationships. And then when we had to actually be at home with our thoughts... Yeah. It's actually pretty, probably pretty therapeutic for many. Yeah. Or totally. you're kind of in maybe that upper later thirties and you're kind of looking at the situation. And you're like, I don't know if I can go on a date for another year. Yeah. Right? Like, with everything. Well, yeah. Good point. Yeah. It's completely stopped. It's like, it's like you froze your love life. I mean, how do you even have a romantic relationship? How do you meet people during this pandemic? I know, you know? I know. I, and I understand like a lot of these apps are coming up with some alternatives where you can like video chat someone yeah. initially, which I, I think is a, a really good alternative for, yeah. for folks that still want to date. But I can also understand someone being like, I don't want to do that. Like that's like a little too much and just saying pressing pause. But it could be really good too, because now you can't push that uh, physical element right now because you have to actually get to know someone. Right. And that's always the challenge. I don't know how you guys felt in your dating career history, but finding out who someone really is has always been the struggle. And I think that that's maybe the why this relationship is panning out, knock on wood and cross our fingers here. But you know, I mean, there's still challenges. It's not, it's not like it's perfect. And I don't want to sugarcoat it and make it like it's something overly great than what it is. But, you know, we were friends for five years. I knew half of his ex-girlfriends. I know his baby mamas. like, what? Yeah. You know, that's little, <laughs> it's like that one song. Um, you know, I wish I never met your ex. You're yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah. That's a great song. Friend. If I'm thinking yeah. of the right one. Where it's like, <laughs> Yeah. Maybe we should play it at the end of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm thinking, I think I'm thinking of a different song. Well, are you thinking about the case of the ex, Maya? No. That's kind of where I'm at. Okay. There's one where it's like, I wish you never met your girl. That song? Yeah. That's That's one? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wish I never met your ex. It's like a rapping one or or like a more hip hop one. So, I mean, it does kind of change your perspective on things. You know, we're finding our happy medium or we're finding a compromise and we're having these like kind of unsexy conversations, but I think are very, very important to have. Like no one really talks out these family planning choice. We need to do more of that before we say, Hey, put a ring on my finger. Definitely. You know? Definitely. Cause that's also what causes people to break up is not having those conversations. Just because you get married doesn't mean you can't have a kid together. I know tons of people that co-parent actually, they said, listen, I think you're a great person. I know you'd be a great dad. Let's co-parent together. My only advice is if you use a third party or someone, you know, a known donor, just get it all down in legal writing. It just never hurts because like I've had women that were 10 days from getting married, found out they had breast cancer or something crazy like that, went and made embryos with their partner only to survive breast cancer, be ready to start their family. And then the relationship fall apart. Yeah. And then you're in a custody battle with your embryos. So that's the one good thing about egg freezing. It's your DNA only. So we actually froze his sperm and we have my eggs frozen. We have not paired them together and made embryos. So we have sperm right now today that we could thaw and he could literally 
inject and be in my eggs and make an embryo. But we haven't mixed the two because if anything does happen in our relationship and we decide not to stay together, then I didn't ruin my eggs. Right. You got to protect those eggs. Your treasure trove, which you got a good one. <laughs> sounds like sounds like it's pretty full. You're like Scrooge As McDuck. Abby says the hall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There needs to be like a category in these dating apps saying if you froze your eggs, you're not actually your age. They need to put in the category, did you freeze your eggs? Because then you stopped your biological clock. Right? Yeah. And, and men wouldn't be so judgmental just because you're 39. Like Claire Crosby on The Bachelorette, girl. Yeah. I mean, how many times did we hear she's the oldest bachelorette? What the hell? Who cares? Meanwhile, she looks like 24. Like, do we really care? And if she had frozen her eggs, then she <laughs> wouldn't actually be that age. Right, right. <laughs> we could have a safely plus if you've frozen your eggs and those could be things that you can put on your dating profile. 38, but really 33. Yeah, right. <laughs> Just have an egg age. Egg age. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry, men. Already did the hard work for you. No, seriously though, people that have frozen their eggs, they have done light years for their fertility that um, they don't even realize. It's more chances to pregnancy. And you still have to get through the whole nine months of pregnancy, which, you know, you probably have heard from girlfriends how stressful and, and situational that can be because you have to hit those milestones every stage of the game during that pregnancy. You're not out of the woods just because you get pregnant. A lot of people can get pregnant. Staying pregnant Mm -hmm. is the key. If you want to learn more about egg freezing, my podcast, Eggology Club is a great place to start. We have a community online. You can meet other egg freezers. You can have those kind of robust conversations with other women that are just like you. And then I do feature stories on experience.com and I show all different kinds of women that froze their eggs. And I started doing this about seven years ago because I just wanted to destigmatize egg freezing. It doesn't have to be this horrible thing. The whole opinion has changed, right? The, yeah. the landscape, the mindset, of freezing your eggs isn't as taboo as it used to be. And you're not some baby, crazy, hungry person. You're just doing yourself a favor and creating a 401k in the family department. Yeah. Right? And so it could be something really great for yourself. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. I learned a ton. And on top of that, we'll make sure that we have like all of your resources, your socials, everything that comes along with you on ours as well. And on our website. So listeners look out for that, especially if you're interested and also listeners, if you have questions for us or questions for Valerie, you know where to reach us because I'm sure outside of the, these few questions that we got for this episode, there are probably many more after listening yeah, to this. So. Absolutely. But this was so fun. And again, as Jamie said, so informative and I'm so glad we got to chat. Yeah. Thanks for being interested in the topic. I feel empowered now. (laughs) Let's go freeze our eggs. Not for everyone, but I do say that it helps a majority of people and every single person, which I've interviewed over a hundred different women so far the last couple of years, not a single woman has regretted freezing her eggs, even when her eggs didn't work. And I've had a couple of women where, you know, they were older, they were 38, 39 when they froze their eggs and and it didn't end up working, but they've created their family a different way. So There's many paths to parenthood. It doesn't have to have a singular look to it. And, you know, modern families today are really no normal family. The normal family is just the modern family. So I love that. This was wonderful. Thanks. Have a good one. This is the odd job podcast.